Life is busy, especially if you've got a very important podcast to host. If you want fewer trips to the grocery store and a freezer full of meat, get ButcherBox. They've got incredible deals on high-quality meat and seafood, and it's delivered right to your door. You can customise your ButcherBox plan, and they'll throw in recipes, tips, guides, and hacks. ButcherBox meat is humanely raised. There are no antibiotics or added hormones, so you can choose from grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood. And shipping is 100% free. Sign up at butcherbox.com underworld and use the code underworld to get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. That's butcherbox.com underworld and the code underworld to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's up, everyone? This is Danny Gold. I host the Underworld Podcast, along with my partner, Sean Williams, just wanted to update our regular listeners because we didn't have a normal episode this week. We will be back next week with a really good episode that I'm very excited about. But for this week, we at least wanted to give you guys a taste of what you can get on the Patreon, patreon.com slash the Underworld Podcast. So we put up a lot of interviews there with journalists, people involved in criminal lifestyles, law enforcement, things like that. This week, Sean spoke to Max Daly, who's based in London. He's the global drugs editor for Vice, and he wrote a book in 2013 called Narcomania, which is about Britain's drug scene. Sean talks to him about London's drug and knife crime explosion, Albanian takeovers, and fun things like that. So if you guys want more of that, patreon.com slash the Underworld Podcast. $5 a month gets you tons of bonus episodes. For 10 or 15, we'll give you the scripts and all our sources and things like that. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it next week. We will be back with a great one. Hello, welcome all to a bonus episode of the Underworld Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Williams, and I'm joined today rarely by a fellow Londoner, Max Daly, who's an award-winning investigative journalist working the drugs and crime beat for Vice. Uh, Max books, Max's book, Narcomania, How Britain Got Hooked on Drugs, came out uh, eight years ago. And since then, he's been tracking how the UK's drug industry is becoming one of the world's biggest. And we're going to cover a whole bunch of fascinating things on this show, including county lines, so-called woke coke, Albanians. Yes, Albanians. I know you guys love that. And something called cuckooing, which sounds a bit like cottaging, but I'm pretty sure it's different. <laughs> um, so first of all, welcome to the show, Max Daly. Hi, Sean. Good to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, so I think we were first chatting about doing an interview back in the early throes of the lockdown, and you were writing about a lot about how the pandemic was affecting drug use in the UK. Um, there was a story about drug dealers dressing up as NHS nurses, which is pretty crazy. Um, what did COVID actually do to the industry? Did it, did it change it a great deal? Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think 
when we we were sort of monitoring this and you know seeing how um because you would have thought you know because the drug trade is is relies a lot of, of uh, people traveling about on the streets hanging around on the streets doing kind of deliver you know running around giving each other bits and bobs then you think you know this has got to be massively um hit by the mm. by by the severe lockdowns um and i think it was definitely affected like everything else but what we found out as per usual with the drug trade is that because people desperately want drugs and people desperately want to make money out of selling drugs there will always be a way of of uh, putting those two together um and that's what happened so you had um um drug dealers uh, disguising themselves quite cleverly um as delivery riders and nurses and people who sort of had legitimate reasons for being in the street also taxi drivers um so so they were sort of just kind of working a little bit more sort of undercover being a little bit more clever um and also you know there was a lot of areas um you know particularly around suburbia and slightly quieter towns and villages where you could still kind of meet people in parks and and at the back of buildings and in alleys and no one would really notice if you were kind of swift mm. enough um so so basically and i spoke to a lot of uh, long term heroin users and crack users as well as um the, the dealers and 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 even some heroin and crack users tried some of them tried to use the lockdown as as a as a chance to sort of give up um because they thought well look it's i'm finding it a bit of a hassle um it's not as easy as it as it was to get drugs um i might try, i might use this opportunity to try and get off drugs but when sort of normal service resumes sort of pretty quickly they found that they could get drugs as easy as before a lot of them just immediately fell off the wagon mm. and got got back into it again um and in terms of what we saw sort of globally um again you know obviously it did um it, it did impact things almost immediately in terms of you know the shipping from china and the mexican cartels getting hold of their synthetic drugs to make fent- fentanyl and things like that so there was an initial sort of problems the in, including the you know the italian mafia um getting the cocaine into europe they had to get round these problems but you know like on the smaller scale of the of the little crack and heroin dealers in in london you know the the big suppliers and traffickers all had um workarounds you know they just tried used slightly different routes um and obviously you know they could still smuggle drugs um in huge amounts of freight because obviously freight was um still going on after it initially mm. was sort of um uh, curtailed a little bit but you know the freight the freight trade was still happening um you know that's why we could all still eat food um and 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 all the stuff so so drugs was just was just being even more uh, cleverly hidden amongst you know the global exchange of of goods yeah and there there's been a few uh trends that you've been tracking over the last what couple of years or so um it seems that there are more they're more like international gangs different kind of so-called ethnic gangs working in london these days or in the uk yeah so um obviously in the in the in the olden days you know in the when the when the drug trade 
uh, in the UK started becoming a thing, a powerful thing, you know, in the, I suppose from the seventies and eighties and nineties, that's where the, 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 the sort of the big crime, uh, guys in in the uk started switching from um armed armed robbery basically and all all types of robbery and thievery and um um that's where they started switching to the drug trade you know we can all we we saw that what's going on in the godfather books you know with the Mm. you know the mafia clans going oh yeah let's maybe get into drugs because it's going to be the next big thing and obviously drugs was the next big thing and the uk gangs got involved um with with cocaine and and cannabis um a lot of the uh, armed robbers who had um fled to spain um because spain didn't have an extradition treaty with the uk uh, when they fled there in the 80s um and 90s they they suddenly realized that the coke more and more cocaine was coming into uh, the Spanish ports from uh, the cartels in, in South America, um, and they thought, right, we'll have a piece of this action. And, you know, as was um, you know hash coming into Spain from from all, all parts as well. So mm. they thought, let's have a piece of this action. We'll get involved in drugs. Um, let's forget armed robbery because armed robbery was also getting too tough as well. There's too much security. Um, banks were getting too wise into this. So a lot of them, a lot of the big gangs involved in drugs and and hence hence you've got um you know the the widespread um uh and the price drop of cocaine because the supply was improved into this country um and then what happens is uh because of um, globalization and immigration you start having um other groups sort of muscling in on the action action in, in terms of you know muscling out the the traditional white um uh, crime gangs, um, especially in you know um, more multicultural cities like London and Bristol and, and Nottingham, you had a lot of the Jamaican gangs getting involved in crack and weed selling, um, and then then later on you had the um, Vietnamese gangs getting involved in uh, cannabis production, and then the Albanian crews getting involved in uh, the cocaine trade, um, largely on the back of their already existing people trafficking trade um mm. so the albanians were quickly just because they had started um like many other countries like many other criminal gangs around europe you know across eastern europe they had increased connections with um the cartels in south america so the albanians could go straight there and get the cocaine and obviously one of the best markets in the world for selling cocaine is is Europe, and one of the best markets in Europe is the UK. It's a very lucrative market. A lot of people mm. take a lot of coke. Um, it's a lot of money money to be had. And the Albanians, they, they they weren't. You know, a lot of people have said that they they sort of um, took over the trade because they were like super crazy violent, which isn't the truth at all. They're no more violent than anyone else. They they just they just got got organised, use existing. Um, trafficking routes um, uh, uh, that they had used to sort of dominate Soho's um, sex trade, you know, in the in the nineties, um, and they also just did a bit of undercutting as well. You know, their their their, their labour was cheap, um, and they they you know, like any new gang, um, 
in the neighbourhood, they'll they'll under undercut the opposition to getting in first, and and they you know that they're, they're they've been fairly sort of popular in the underworld as as operators, you know, reliable, um, good good to good to work with, and now not only are they the Albanians successful in terms of the cocaine trade, but they've also um, shouldered aside the the Vietnamese and are and are running the. Uh, UK's cannabis farm trade as well in the, in the main. Um, obviously, you also get um, a lot of white um, you know, domestic gangs involved mm. in that still. Um, and also just, you know, one-off people who just want to grow weed. But um, in terms of the organised kind of element of cannabis farms, the Albanians are quite heavily involved. It, they, they traffic um, poor Albanians and young Albanians um, over to the UK to work as sort of cannabis farm slaves, a bit like happened with the Vietnamese sort of 10 years ago. And you reported relatively recently that there's been a sort of uptick in the number of uh, violent attempts to take over cannabis farms uh, in the country uh, and people are getting killed in that as well. So what's going on there? Yeah, it's because I sort of keep an eye on Britain's drug world, I did start spotting, you know, and I look at a lot of the local newspaper headlines as well and get, you know, get a fair bit of information coming into my brain. Mm. Um, I started sort of noticing that there was just a lot of violence associated with cannabis farms because you wouldn't sort of usually kind of think about cannabis farms being particularly violent. Um, You know, it's just people growing cannabis plants and then getting rid of it and selling it and then growing more. And they just don't want any hassle. They just want to do their thing and go. Um, but what I'd, I'd found out actually from interviewing this guy a couple of years ago um, in, uh, in, I think it was Kent, um, he was actually a professional uh, cannabis farm raider. So it was his, it was his, his role, his speciality, and you have a lot of specialities in the criminal world uh people get commissioned to do what they're good at doing and what he was good at doing was um raiding cannabis farms so so that you know one of his mates or someone in the gang would uh get wind that there was a cannabis farm um operating in xx street um so they, what they do they would plan a raid on it they'd maybe scout it out for a, for a day or so work out how many people were operating from there and whether they might be armed and how dangerous they looked. And if they thought they had a good chance, they would, you know, raid it usually at night, they'll break in, they'll burgle it, probably armed with um, knives or baseball bats. Um, Sometimes kind of kick the shit out of the people who are working there or running it. Sometimes Mm. they just leave them alone or tie them up and just nick their whole, um, you know, cannabis um, farm, just grab the, you know, st- stick it all in bin liners and shove it in the car and drive off. And, you know, and obviously that's, you know, worth up to sort of 30, 30 grand or whatever, uh, um, oh, yeah. or, you know, at least per crop. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's better than stealing an iPhone. Um, and, and, and so because I've been speaking to this guy who had made, made a living of it, you know, I think he burgled up to sort of, 30 or 40, 50 cannabis farms himself during his career, then I, I did also start spotting that, that, that the violence started increasing and, that, and the, there was one particular case which I feature in that article about a, um, I think he was a young like jujitsu 
champion for Britain, um, a, a young Asian guy. Um, and, you know, lots of pictures of him on the internet of, of winning, um, winning, winning at his sport. And mm. what he, him and him and a group of friends decided they were going to burgle um, a, um, a cannabis farm up north. I can't quite remember where it was. I think it's somewhere in the Midlands, actually. Um, and unfortunately for them, the people who own the cannabis farm happened to also live in the house next door. And they were a group, a bunch of Asian guys as well. And they, they were armed with a, a crossbow. So they, Jesus. they shot a crossbow and it killed the, the, one of the young kids. But he also, I who shot a crossbow, happened to also accidentally kill his brother, I think. Um, so he was done for double murder. Um, and that's just one example of, of, of a lot of these quite nasty you know, it's, yeah. some of them deliberate murders of people who who are who are just kind of being paid probably quite low amounts of money to look after these flipping plants, and 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 usually they sort of have to sleep in the same room. Um, there's there's nothing they can do. They have like pot noodles. It's quite a grim life. And then mm. someone breaks in and stabs them. Um, yeah. So it, that that's the sort of the the, the nasty side of of the cannabis trade. And, and obviously it's a great argument for legalizing cannabis because none of this stuff would happen if, if, if cannabis was legalized. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, a, another part of the news that, I mean, I, I've been away from the UK for ages, so I'm probably well out of touch, but we're fed a load of stories about County lines, specifically how drug gangs are, you know, using young kids, teenagers to, to, to run drugs. Um, all over the country is that are they getting younger like how is county lines developing i guess we should also describe for listeners what county lines even is yeah so so county lines is a sort of a a drug dealing business model where um you're sending out sort of inner city drug gangs are sending out young kids usually teenagers you know sometimes as young as 12 13 to go out to uh used to be called going country or, or going out there ot um they would send them out to satellite towns and and ports and stuff to just expand the drug trade out of the city um and they used these young kids because it was cheap labor because they were um no one really sort of bothered them because they were so young um mm. no well, the, the local police forces had no idea that these young kids buzzing around town were anything to do with class A, you know, crack and heroin uh, drug trade. Because obviously, county lines is all about crack and heroin. It's not really much to do with cannabis or co- or powder cocaine. Um, so they, they'd go out. These young kids, usually with a, a manager, would would go out and start selling to local. They'd, they'd take over the local heroin and crack trade. And what they found out, you know, over time was that rather they couldn't just uh, wander around in the streets um, because the police kind of cottoned onto the fact that there was a lot of black kids from London wandering around Ipswich or or wherever. Um, so they the, those kids were just picked up at the train station. So what happened next is that they had to find a sort of a, a drug den to to sell from. So they were off street, and what they did was that they um, took over. Uh, um, uh, dependent heroin users, council flats, 
Um, they would pay them, you know, a kind of a rock every couple of hours. Um, and, and they, they can just sit in their house 24 seven and use that as a dealing hub. Um, and so therefore be, be harder to, to catch. Um, and this, this model, which I trace back to about 1999 in Brighton, when a, a, a lot of Brixton, uh, young Brixton kids were um, selling a crack and heroin in Brighton. Mm-hmm. So since 1999, that sort of method has expanded pretty much around the country um, with the use of these young kids, some of whom are coerced into it, some of whom are uh, sort of really up for it. Obviously, if you're a kid, you know, you're going to be up for doing a lot of things that you probably shouldn't be doing and that yeah. are probably very dangerous. And, and, yeah. and, you know, and a lot of these kids have really come across, uh, you know, they are stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place. They've got the police on one side, they've got rival gangs and even their bosses on the other side. So ultimately they're, they're not really earning, they're earning more money than McDonald's, but they're not earning any great riches. And in the end, they'll usually um, either come home with their tail between their legs after having a huge beating uh, to their mum and dad, or they'll end up in prison. They'll end up injured. Um, so it's sort of, it's not ideal way of spending your youth, you know, when you should be doing biology GCSE, you know, instead of, instead yeah. of sitting in a sort of a heroin user's real shithole flat selling crack and heroin 24 seven with very little break. You know, you're, all you're eating is McDonald's and playing games on your phone. I mean, it's a, it's not a very glamorous life despite what Snapchat, Snapchat and stuff might say. Yeah, and you've been working on some some stuff about that, right? Um, can you can you get into that? I think when when this will be going out, it, your the big story that we were talking about before we went on a, on air that will just be coming out at Vice. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the kind of reporting that you were doing for that? I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements. And I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, so um, there over the since 2017, really, there has been a, a, a steady rise. Um, apart from last year, which was lockdown, there's been a, 
a, a jump in the number of uh, young people killing each other. Um, I mean, and the figures were fairly high. In uh, I think the last high was two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, when there when it was in the media a, a lot before you know then. Um, mm. But basically, this this year there's been twenty five uh, teenagers who have been um, killed in street. Um, stabbings and, and shootings in London uh, so far this year, um, and it, it that's that's sort of double what it was last year. Um, wow! And that's um, huge. yeah, yeah, and, and it has it has gone up, and it, and, it, and and I think the record was was something like twenty eight, um, twenty eight, twenty nine in two thousand eight. So it looks like because there was another three months to go this year, it doesn't look great in terms of being a record-breaking year for teenage killings. And the problem is, is that what I've been seeing in the last year in particular um, was they're getting younger and younger. So, you know, the, the year started off, I think it was January the 3rd, started off with the stabbing to death of a 13-year-old boy in Reading, which is a in quite a sort of a well-off part of a uh, sort of suburb of, yeah, um, I, I, I went uh, to uni in Reading, actually, so I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know it well. I mean, and it was in this particular park. I can't remember what it's called, but it's quite a sort of a, a well-off part of Reading. Um, uh-huh. You know, total suburbia, and this thirteen-year-old kid gets stabbed to death um, on January the third. Um, and it turns out, you know, the people who who have been convicted of stabbing to death was a thirteen-year-old and uh, two thirteen-year-olds and a fourteen-year-old. Um, he was sort oh. of lured. It, it, it was it was sort of um, very much connected to Snapchat. Um, you know the the the, the young guy's um, obsession with knives, the beef that was developed, the planning of it, uh, the honey trap element of it, where the girl persuaded the uh, persuaded Ollie to go to the park on false pretenses, and then he got ambushed by the two boys who uh, who stabbed him to death. Um, and that was, you know, that, that, that was the start. That was three days into the year. Then, you know, since then, um, there has been a steady, I think it's, you know, what, one every 10 days a uh, teenager is, is killed in London. Um, I mean, it, it hasn't yeah. actually kicked off as, as bad as everyone thought it, it would this summer. Um, but there still has been a steady trickle of people dying across the country. Um, at a very young age, and it's very young people doing it as well. It's not like it's sort of, you know, thugs in their 20s, like stabbing and bullying little kids. You know, the ones who are doing the stabbing and killing are, are the same age as them. Um, and there was that case also recently where there was um, a dad went to kind of rescue his girl, 14-year-old daughter, who, had, who was being abused by some youths. and he got stabbed uh, to death um, in Chingford, I think, North London. Um, mm. but, and the, the, the kid who's been charged is 14. So it's just this sort of really, it's like, what the fuck is going on? You know, why, yeah. you know, in one of the richest countries in the world, why are children on a regular basis killing each other on, our, on the streets? You know, a lot, of, a lot of them are killing each other on the way home from school. Or, you know, this isn't all stuff that's happening in dark alleyways and, you know, whatever. This is stuff that's happening with kids in their school uniform outside McDonald's within full view of the, the public. 
um, and and with um, flipping machetes. You know, um, we're not talking about Stanley knives. We're talking about absolute proper swords that people are getting Jesus. attacked with. Nice. Um, yeah, and and it's very open. I mean, I I saw it the other day in my in my um, in my street. Some kids running after each other with machetes, um, and you know, it's it's sort of. It's almost you know you used to you used to sort of see start seeing foxes all the time in London. I remember thinking, "Blimey, there's a fox!" And and now fo- <laughs> you see foxes everywhere. And then now it's like literally you're not surprised when you see someone walking around with a zombie knife, um, or being chased, or a helicopter hovering overhead because there's another dead body in the street two streets away. So so what I thought, okay, well, um, what is going on here? Yeah, and I know that the authorities, um, you know, the the Home Office, the Scotland Yard, all those sort of people have since 2017 have tried to put the blame on the drug trade, um, and um, and I sort of smelled a rat, and I thought, hold on, that sounds like total bullshit to me. Um, so I, I I kind of investigated that and looked into the cases. This is a few years ago. I, I did a piece and. Mm found out that that not very many of them were to do with drugs turf wars you know it, it wasn't britain was not you know london was not the wire um, um and that most of the time as as it would be with kids that these were like you know petty beefs and silly arguments and and sort of pointless postcode rivalries but which were not based on drug turf but literally based on no reason whatsoever um so a lot of it was almost quite sort of nihilistic you know people were just killing each other because you know because they just didn't care um and mm. because someone had slighted someone you know or in in street terms via, they'd violated them so so the only way that you can survive on the streets is by keeping your reputation above a certain level and if it goes below a certain line you have to do something to correct that um and you do that uh, by stabbing someone and, and recording that sometimes on Snapchat so everybody knows what you've done, you've got your revenge. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and anyway, yeah, so, so very little to do with drug turf war and, and money and, and very much to do with this sort of um, weird situation now where um, it's a mixture of, you know, poverty, um, so, you know, claustrophobic living, People uh, developing these crazy little beefs over Snapchat, and then using that um, platform as a way of sort of a scoreboard of keeping um, uh, up with you know what, who's who's injured or stabbed who amongst rival groups, and then not only is it a, a sort of a enabler of it, then then what you do is you boast about. Um, what you've done on Snapchat afterwards, um, and surprise, surprise! Although the police aren't, um, you know, they haven't got enough resources to monitor Snapchat twenty four seven. But um, the police have, you know, used Snapchat evidence to um, to nail people. And obviously, so it's obviously stupid. No other, you know, it, twenty years ago, um, you know, like gang gang people would never have gone anywhere near someone mm. like Snapchat because they know that it would put them in the dock. But these days, because they're kids, they just do not give a shit. You know, they, they literally do not care. They, you know, the fact that they'll kill someone, they'll stick it on Snapchat and go, ha ha, I've killed someone. Um, 
which gives even more and credence they, they, to this kind of nihilist side yeah, of it as yeah, well. Yeah, c- completely. I mean, obviously, some of them try and cover it up, and some of them are a bit cautious, but there's so much, um, so many kind of convictions that I've been told about um, that have involved evidence from Snapchat um, that, that, you know, they are kind of digging their own grave uh, as well as killing other people. And, it, and it's just, I mean, ultimately, it's. Um, I've been told by youth workers that it's it's a lot to do with, um, you know, shame. A lot of them have been shamed all their lives. They've had very difficult lives. A lot mm. involving kind of domestic violence, extreme poverty, um, um, a really bad treatment at the hands of schools and police, um, at the hands of of their own parents, um, and they've been shamed all their lives. And and so you know if that if, if their sort of their tiny ego is dented at all or is challenged, they 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 lash out because with shame is a very powerful emotion. Um, yeah, yeah. I and mean, that's what you know. Youth workers have been telling me. Well, why Snapchat as well? Is it are its like safety features just lower than other forms of media, or is there any particular reason why the kids use that? Well, it's it's that generation Z, isn't it? I mean that. That's right. their means of communication. I mean, uh, you know, that you don't, you know, if you're a boy who's whether 14, who's chatting up a girl, you don't ask her for a phone number. Um, you ask her for a snap, you know, um, and that's just, that's how they communicate. But it just so happens that the everyday normal communication between people who are aged 13, 14, 15 is absolutely rife with horrific images of, of people getting stabbed to death, <laughs> you know. I mean, that, oh. that, that's just the way it is for for teenagers now. Who, um, they, you know, their their main method of communication is is also um, being used as a sort of a a, a, a platform for violence. Yeah, that's it's fucking awful. <laughs> I had yeah, no idea it's going I mean, on. Yeah, such yeah. We we've um we have we've contacted Snapchat um, and are awaiting their reply um, on our accusations that it sort of the platform enables uh, extreme youth violence and does nothing about it. Mm. And I guess to segue into another sort of um, another area of reporting of yours uh, that that will segue itself into something else that's come into the media recently Mm. is that, the government just always seems to be tone deaf on this stuff and it, it doesn't seem to want to point the finger in the direction of anything that would do any good. Um, I'm thinking in terms of woke coke in particular um, and the accusation level that uh, it's trying to sort of ignite a class war, I guess, in order to justify the increase in violence and drug crime in the country. Um, what do you make about Yeah, I mean, that? It, it, yeah. It's, it's a flipping disgrace. I mean, it's... Um you know, I am a bit of a rant factor 10 on this one, but (laughs) it is, it's it's kind of, um, it's a disgrace that, you know, the government knows that that one of the main reasons for, um, you know, the rise in crime and youth violence, the the rise in number of people addicted to drugs, it's all, it's totally connected to austerity. And, um, you know, the fact that, that the safety net has been pulled away from, um, a lot of the most vulnerable populations in this country over the last 10 years, you know, Cameron's, David Cameron's conservative government started doing that from 2009 onwards. Um, 
And there, there's been many reports. There were many reports written in 2008, 2009 saying, if you carry on doing this, crime will go crazy. Um, and they carried on doing this and crime's gone crazy. Um, mm. But so obviously the government doesn't want to say, oh, shit, um, all this youth crime, these youth stabbings, this rise in uh, drug dealing everywhere, the rising number of people who want to buy drugs to, to kind of escape their misery. They don't want to say this to do with austerity and, and thousands of youth clubs being closed and all that. They would rather say, hey, I've got a clever idea. Let's blame drug users. Um, so, and they can't blame all drug users because they don't want to say, hey, it's the fault of Billy the Builder who likes a line after coming off the construction site or whatever in the dog and duck. It's a lot more of a sort of a culture war sort of hit that, that they know that a lot of the right-wing newspapers are going to love if they can go for the middle class, you know, the fabled middle class dinner party coke snorters. Mm. Um, and, and obviously when I say fabled, you know, um, it, it, it's fabled because, you know, you could have maybe said that in the 1990s. But I think in 2021, trying to say that cocaine is a drug of the middle classes and dinner parties and stuff is a bit silly um well yeah i mean anyone that anyone who goes down to Millwall or charlton on a saturday afternoon knows that (laughs) it's not it's not just a middle class pursuit exactly i mean is that was that guy snorting cocaine in the on the day of the england italy final outside wembley pictured in the sun i think he was the same guy with a a flare stuck up his bum but we know was that guy a a middle class dinner party I don't think so. So, so, so the, obviously, the, the, not only has the government and the police as well used this as an opportunity. Uh, you, you know, not only has it diverted people, the public, away from the real reasons why this shit is happening, it's sort of used it, it's twisted it to sort of blame um, drug users. Um, and and obviously, it's in its interest to reduce demand um, because. Obviously, uh, the police, the government, uh, and the border police can't reduce supply. They find it very hard to reduce reduce supply of cocaine and, and and other drugs. So the only thing that they can try and do is sort of try and reduce the demand for it. And one of their methods of reducing their demand is to try and you know, publicity sort of campaigns and PR to try and say, hey, people taking drugs is really not only is it unhealthy, but it's actually you're killing people. And they are right, you know, in, in, in you know, te- you know the, the drug trade is not an ethical trade. You know, we've just been talking about, you know, cannabis farm, weed being involved in violence. We uh, Obviously, we all know about the, the violence in South America and Mexico linked to the cocaine trade. So obviously, down the line, it's a very unethical trade. But what the, um, what the government knows fair well from knows very well from its research is that English people generally don't give a shit about what happens in South America. So it was useless them trying to, they did have a, a joint um, <clears throat> PR campaign with the Colombian government about 10 years ago. And I can't remember what it was called now. Um, really? Project something or other. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was basically saying to English cocaine users, just don't or cocaine because every, lots of people are dying in Colombia and, and it was all to do with the drug mules, you know, that dog, I can't remember what it was called. Um, and um, 
but it, it, the research showed that that just did not touch the size. No one gave a shit. So what they've what they've done is they've used the rise in youth stabbings to say, okay, forget about Colombia or Afghanistan or whatever. This you're killing the kids in your own neighbourhood. Um, and what they did is they tried to link um, powder cocaine, i.e., middle class drug users, with these youth killings. And also with county lines as well, and and there is no link between these youth killings and county lines with powder cocaine, with the powder yeah. cocaine trade. You, you know, these these county lines kids are not selling powder cocaine; they're selling crack and heroin to semi-homeless people. They're not selling. If you read the Telegraph or most of the mainstream press, actually, or listen to a politician, or 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 listen to. Um, Scotland Yard and Cressida Dick, you would think that um, County Lions kids were selling powder cocaine to posh people. And you would think, think that the kind of kids who are being 13-year-olds getting stabbed in the street are flipping, selling cocaine to kind of architects in Stoke Newington. It's just not <laughs> the case. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it's also the case, right, that the during austerity, the, the police service was stripped down. and the NCA, the National Crime Agency, also um, put drug crime further and further down the list of priorities, right? So there's a, there's a kind of direct line between the policing of, of drug offences and that, right? Is that is that the case? Yeah, yeah. So so ever since 9-11, um, the, the, the policing of the drug trade, certainly in terms of, you know, uh, the NCA and, it, and its Proceeding for something was it soccer? I think I can't remember. But um, yeah. th- there was a there was an absolute shift from the top, um, ordered from the top to say, look, we are shifting our resources to, to two things now. First, it was uh, terrorism. Then it was people trafficking, um, and that got precedence over drug trafficking. So you can see, like, you no know, rising, rising. Um, so it's falling, falling. Cocaine seizures um, over the last fifteen years in this country, um, and that was because they just weren't looking for it anymore. Um, uh, but still, the same amount was coming in because as the seizures were getting lower, the amount of cocaine use was getting higher. So that can only mean one thing, which is. They're not looking for it, and they weren't. So, so in terms of you know, in terms of the borders and stuff, yes, that was they had almost sort of given up the game um, in terms of drug trafficking. I think they've slightly turned it around slightly now uh, because they've got oh shit, um, we should try and stop drugs coming in the country. It's our job. Um, (laughs) And then, (laughs) um, and I and I think you're right. Yeah, austerity austerity has sort of reduced the uh, number of police officers. and some people were blaming uh, rising youth crime and county lines on reduced policing, but that I think that's been shown um, that that that's not the case. And I think the last time that there was a big bump in in youth crime policing wasn't a problem um, mm. in two thousand eight nine. Um, and I and I also it's the same with um, it's the same with uh, stop and search. I and mean, obviously it makes complete sense. Um, and I sort of agree with it. You know, if, if you've got a massive knife crime problem, flipping, you, you can't just not search people or not look for knives. If you've yeah. got people, you have, to, you, ha- you have to do it. It's like not an option not to do it. So, so they, 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 you know, 
the police were searching, start, did start searching more people in 2000, from 2017 onwards for knives, you know, and there was a lot of obviously people being stopped on a pretext of drugs, but it was actually being because the police wanted to search them for knives. And so there will see the, the, the stop and search figures, the disparate racial disparities went up um, because, um, you know, a lot of the, the, um, the youth homicides in London in particular were. Uh, uh, the information that I am providing today is coming from higher dimensional Consciousness. Things got so weird during 2020, and it wasn't just the QAnon conspiracy theorists. This New Age channel told us... Donald Trump is a massive and powerful lightworker. A lightworker? And then what about this Oprah-endorsed, best-selling feminist health icon talking about heavy metals... That are in vaccines that make our bodies literally into an antenna with 5G. As we continued studying what we now call conspirituality, it only got more intense. This is, this is the cult of Baphomet. This is Molochite-worshipping stuff. It gets very gory in the basement. And it culminated with that shaman dude showing up at the Capitol insurrection. But it didn't stop there. Every week on Conspirituality Podcast, we track the overlaps between New Age spirituality and far-right conspiracy cults. Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. We'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. By black kids on other black kids. So that's where police mm. were targeting um, uh, people disproportionately because they were going after knives. Um, but then, you know, research has, has found since that that wasn't really doing much it wasn't because the knife the knife knife crime was just kept on going up and up and up um and also yeah. what a lot of young people were telling me during this research that i was doing was that um you know okay you might grab a few knives from doing the stop and search but what that does also do is it continues the terrible relationship between police between the met police and black young black people in this in the city um which means that the Met Police are no longer really protectors for young black people in their eyes. They are almost the enemy. So they certainly don't go to them for help. Um, mm. And I think if, if, you've got, if you've got a sort of a, in, in, their, in their eyes, a sort of a dead police force, a non-existent police force, then it's going to make you more vulnerable to a lot of things, you know, including, including violence and murder. Does sound a little bit like uh, London is turning into the wire, from what you're saying, in some <laughs> senses. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, obviously, you know, America the, the, the makes makes UK whatever you know 
statistics you look at makes UK look almost like zero when it comes to yeah, you know, yeah. street killings and obviously police killings of young people is 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 very very small in the UK compared to the situation in the US. But yeah, I mean, it. I think, and I think it was one point a few years ago when the number of people being killed in London was higher than in New York. I remember Trump commenting on it. And obviously, wow. so did Katie, what's her oh, crazy God. racist Hopkins, woman. yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she was saying, you know, kind of like, Stab City, London is stand and blaming is on black yeah. people and, and Asian people. And jump, Trump jumped onto that. Um um, but then, obviously, you know, since then, New York has in the last year, in the last year, due to lockdown, New York has really kicked off again. You know, after violence has has absolutely fallen um, compared to what it was in the eighties and nineties. New York, I think, got a resurge of violence over lockdown. So I just think purely, you know, in that city, it's, it can be can be hot in that city, and people can get really annoyed with each other. And I think everyone just started killing each other because they were bored. <laughs> yeah, it's always good when you've got a Glock to hand as well when you are getting a bit pissed <laughs> off with something. Yeah, there's there's not a shortage of them. I mean, and and that's the thing is that you know, um, obviously in London, it's all all about these youth killings. It's all about uh, knives. I mean, mm. you do get the occasional shooting, but it's all about knives and and and, and Obviously, knives, even machetes and zombie knives, they're so easy to get a hold of. Anyone can get a hold of them. There's, there's, you know, like outdoor, outdoor fishing companies that, that are making a very pretty penny on sending these things in bulk to people who they can't sort of turn a blind eye to. It's like, oh, yeah, 200 knives to a council of state in Hackney? Yeah, fine. I'm sure they're going to go fishing. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> um, Can so, you get yeah. anything in Hackney Marshes these days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's a, it's a scandal that, um, that this is going on, that these young people are getting killed. And you think you know, maybe more would be being done about it if they weren't black, if so many of them weren't black or, or mixed race? Or, yeah, I mean, minorities. Shock, shock horror. Um, you know, this, this, this like violent crime affects people of color and people of low income or in low income mm-hmm. areas the most, which mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. brings me very tangentially onto my last question for you, <laughs> which is what is cuckooing and why is it on the rise? Yeah. So, so cuckooing, um, sounds cute, but it's not. So that was sort of takes me back to a point I made before which is a sort of it's one of the sort of modes uh, of operation of the uh, of county lines um but it is not restricted to county lines it's what it basically is it's um drug dealing uh crews who uh take over a vulnerable person's house um sometimes injecting them entirely um to use that house as a drug dealing base um uh, but uh, there's been some sort of quite horrific stories of um of of these of this um sort of method of you know keeping away from the police because obviously when you've got a lot of young traumatized kids who are the drug dealers um hanging out in the same quite dingy flat as a heavily traumatized sort of long-term crack and heroin user um mm. uh 
it's got to be a recipe for disaster and exploitation, abuse. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's awful because um, there's there's a lot of mental health issues going on there, a lot of violence, a lot of desperation, a lot of arguments going on. So you can sort of picture the horrific situations that that happen, and you know the, the horrible things young people are seeing that they shouldn't be seeing in those flats, the terrible exploitation. Um, so and sometimes, yeah, and sometimes torture of of long term uh, drug users, um, some of whom have been murdered by people cooking them, um, some of whom have had um, find it hard to get help, especially over lockdown when they were sort of isolated even more than usual. Mm. Um, so it's kind of you know it it, re- it really is a sort of a weird sort of slightly Dickensian sort of situation where you've got really the most vulnerable people, young and old in our society, sort of cohabiting in these places to kind of, one of them obviously to get paid free drugs for their use of their council flat, which quickly turns into a nightmare. You know, their their cat gets stabbed and they moan about it, so they get stabbed as well. Um, And, um, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a horrible situation and, um, it happened to a friend of mine actually. Um, and it was, it was really horrific to see. Um, and it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just, there's nothing good about it. (laughs) No, it doesn't sound like it. Um, so if people uh, are looking around for your work, Max writes for Vice, and I believe that's where your your big story that we spoke about earlier is going to be or will have been just published by the time we're, we're uh, publishing this. Yeah, that will, that's podcast, going right? out on Vice World News. Um, so that's, that's where I work at the moment. So I, I, I spend most of the time focusing on uh, Europe, Middle East and um, Africa sort of area. Um, mm. But sometimes I do write stuff about America. I wrote a, a big thing the other day about PCP in America and about um, New York crime uh, statistics. So yeah, I, I try and sort of cover the world because my my title is global drugs editor, so I might as well go for it. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, when you get travelling, then you probably be able to see a lot. I mean, yeah, I'm gee, I can't wait. Thing. I can't wait because oh, oh, the the, the the furthest I've been in the last two years is Norwich. Oof. I mean, it's brilliant that you got to Norwich. So. <laughs> in terms of work stuff, yeah. So I, I've got to try and find a really good story, sort of like maybe in the Caribbean or maybe Fiji or something. Yeah. For, for our American listeners, Norwich is a very beautiful medieval uh, <laughs> market town in a gorgeous part of Anglia. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah, um, actually, I was stunned by how beautiful it was. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice up there. Yeah, I was I was around yeah. that way not so long ago. Um, but anyway, Max, thanks ever so much for coming on the show. Um, and yeah, guys, if 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 you want to catch Max on Twitter, his handle is Narcomania, very on brand. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll look forward to speaking to you in the future, Max. It sounds like we've got a lot probably that we could uh, chat to you forever about. To be honest. Yeah, nice one, Sean. Thanks for getting me on. Hi, cheers.
This Is Monsters is a true crime podcast and YouTube channel where I tell the stories of the worst people on the planet. Though the stories of the victims are told, we focus on the monster who carried out the evil act. The show is split into seasons, and each season has a theme. In season one, we covered cases of filicide, which is the act of a parent killing their own child. In season two, we covered cases of people killing for love. We recently finished up season three, where we covered cases of parricide, which is the act of someone killing their parents. Tune in now as we start season four, where we dive into the minds of family annihilators. Sick individuals who decided to destroy their entire families. Check us out anywhere that you listen to podcasts or on YouTube by searching This is Monsters.